Welcome back to Fireside, podcast by FS Investments. I'm Kara O'Halloran, a member of our research team here. I am once again thrilled to be joined by my colleague, Laura Rehm, our chief U.S. economist, who is quickly gaining the title of podcaster-in-chief. She is such a good <laughs> guest. I think everyone at FS is constantly fighting for her time. So, Laura, thank you so much for carving some out for us today. Absolutely. I mean, it's so much more fun to talk to you than to stare at my screen and try to write something. So (laughs) always happy to do this. (laughs) Awesome. Well, I'm happy it's an audio medium too. Uh, We're on a video call, so Laura can tell I am in the middle of moving. So I'm surrounded by cardboard boxes. So we will see how that does for our acoustics. Um, But I'm sure our our team can fix any sound quality. So I don't think we could consider ourselves uh, an economics and markets-related podcast without an episode on inflation. Um, For the last six months or so, there has been a lot of talk about it uh, after a decade of really, as we all know, very little inflation. Uh, So today we are going to get Laura's point of view on where she thinks inflation is headed, both in the near term, in the longer term. Is this another head fake? We will get into all of it, uh, and of course, we will tie in the market impacts as well. There is a lot to cover, so I'm sure we will barely scratch the surface here, uh, but I would be surprised if this is the last time that we're talking about inflation in 2021. Yeah. Uh, So let's get into it. Laura, the pandemic has certainly had a huge impact on inflation. Um, We really saw almost competing forces. So we saw these deflationary pressures as well as inflationary ones. You know, airline tickets last year were so cheap, understandably so, and yet my grocery bill has never been higher. I know I'm home a lot more, (laughs) but it still seems a little high. Uh, So maybe to start out, you can talk through some of the impacts that we saw on inflation due to the pandemic and the economic shutdowns. Sure. Happy to. And I think yeah, to your point, you know, Kara, inflation has probably never been more interesting than it is right now. So it's exciting that it's reemerging both in the near term, medium term, and long term as such um, a topic that really needs to be rethought, I think, in a lot of ways. Okay, pandemic. You know, pandemic hits this time last year from March 2020 to, to May 2020. We see energy prices get crushed. We see these small, you know, pockets that were really um, at the center of the target for the pandemic. Airline prices, hotel prices, uh, just get um, see steep declines. And then on the other side of that, we saw um, food prices rise, durable goods prices, you know, auto prices rose significantly right as the pandemic set in, and. That really did give us these competing forces. First of all, you just had the broad index fall significantly in that in those few months, right as the pandemic intensified. And we've seen um, the overall, I think since the pandemic, one factor in and above all else has really kept inflation low. And that has been owner's equivalent rent. It is the government's attempt to to reflect the cost of shelter, and they do that um, through a proxy for rents. And we've seen this before, this really odd dynamic where when house prices rise and a lot of people are moving out of rental units into housing prices, and the pandemic intensified that because a lot of people moved out of 
high rent markets like New York and San Francisco into lower rent markets, the net effect being rents falling at the most macro level, all of that um, has, you know, that that index alone, that owner's equivalent rent is about a third of the share of the core CPI or a quarter of headline CPI. So that has really put a damper on inflation over the course of this year. So, um, you know, a bunch of of opposing factors there that have kind of left us with a, a muddy inflation picture in the near term. So then we wouldn't be surprised to see these really work themselves out in, in these from these base effects, right? So I think we saw CPI jump in March already. Um, so maybe you can talk a little bit about that. Yes. And, and this is just a very technical feature. That means that, you know, we, we look at inflation on a year-on-year calculation. So when you have a huge drop in one or three months. You then end up one, you know, a year later, that same March, April, May of this year, we're going to see a huge surge in the year-on-year calculation, not necessarily in any one component, uh, seeing price increases of that magnitude in this month. All that's to say, exactly to your point, in March, we saw headline CPI jump from 1.7 to 2.6 year-on-year. That increase is greater than what we've had in over a decade and you're going to see that again over the next couple of months. We could get CPI over three percent sometime, you know, by May. That's my expectation, and that would be the highest inflation in ten years. That doesn't mean um, that you know. Mar- I think markets are rightly ignoring this, and it's a very technical measure that's going to make a lot of headlines. That's the uh, yeah. Thing. I know. I think we're going to get the <laughs> yeah. highest inflation in a decade uh, clickbait. <laughs> <laughs> right, exactly. You know, my dad's going to be calling me right. worried about it. And it's like, no, 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 it's okay. It's just kind of going to wash out by the summer. But uh, to, to just steal yourself for those headlines that are going to be coming at you. Right. But in March, you know, markets didn't really react, right? And That's in fact, right. we saw interest rates decline recently. Ignore, ignore, ignore. That's exactly <laughs> right. So it's, it's just right. a scary headline for those who aren't prepared for it. Right. Okay. So I'm actually going to physically ignore the phone calls when people right. call asking about inflation. <laughs> right. That's what that button is for. <laughs> so, so let's talk about the coming months after May. So after we see these base effects really work themselves out, looking at this, the, the great reopening, if you will, it feels like we really have the stars aligning here. If we think about the definition of demand pull inflation, we have all the components, right? We have the central bank increasing the money supply. The economy has been largely shut down for a year. So definitely wouldn't say that we have seen a, an increase in the production of goods or services. We're seeing capacity issues as well in production. So seeing pricing pressure on the supply side as well. Uh, and then we have, so we basically have a reopening situation where there's going to be a lot of demand. I still think we're going to see some capacity constraints. You know, I don't think that we'll see some uh, some limitations at restaurants or events or resorts, not just going to completely flip a switch back to 100% capacity, or at least not everywhere in the country. Um, basically, you know, long story short is that this feels like the definition of too many dollars chasing too few goods. Uh, so I feel like there has to be some sort of pricing pressure there, right? Yes, I, I, you you put it perfectly. Um, I should start interviewing you about inflation. <laughs> yes, um, so I think we what you know if you look at the growth rates that we're expecting um, this quarter is supposed to be growth of twelve percent. 
this year, 2021, uh, the consensus forecast is growth of six, north of 6%. You know, next year is supposed to be growth of, you know, consensus estimate 4%. These are, you know, two to four times higher than our underlying potential growth rate, as it's estimated by the Federal Reserve. So if this isn't an, an environment where you could see inflation, I don't know what is. You know, we've already ha- seen energy prices recover significantly. You're still seeing you know, very high commodity prices um, and input costs are rising. So I want to just talk about two separate things. One is, um, and what we've seen previously, is input prices rising, energy prices rising, and we've seen a history of this. Companies being unable to pass that along to the bottom line, sort of the the consumer prices. And I want to just be clear, this does have an impact, you know, on on margin. Companies um, in the face of very little pricing power end up just, you know, seeing their margins erode somewhat. We saw this for the last 15 years. Um, and especially, you know, right before the pandemic hit, we saw, for example, labor costs rising, but companies really weren't able to pass that along to the bottom line. We've seen energy, you know, surge higher, retreat, surge higher again, and companies have been uh, unable to pass that along. I think the real question is whether or not that'll change this time around, but you are for sure seeing it um, in um, goods, you're seeing non-durable goods prices recovering very strongly. You're seeing, um, you know, again, all those durable goods prices higher and services prices are normalizing. So whether or not it all happens at once, or if it sort of slowly grows over the course of this year, the reality is, um, we could be seeing inflation coming at us from several different directions. And I think the real issue is whether, you know, A, companies will be able to pass along the higher prices that they're seeing to the consumer and and B, whether or not the consumer will really view this as temporary or markets will view this as sort of a, a one to two year phenomenon or whether they'll view this as a long term uh, shift to a higher inflationary regime. Yeah, that to me is the real issue. No, and I think that's interesting. I'm curious to see. Uh, I think about the last decade, and you know, we we didn't we didn't have much inflation, right? So if you get a, a small spike, uh, I, if I were a company, you know, I'm going to be hesitant to pass that on to consumers because growth was so sluggish as it as it was. You know, I don't want right. to lose my customers in a in that kind of environment. No, and um, and technology, globalization, all of those are things which really forced competition. Um, and pricing power right. to really erode significantly. And those have not really gone away. That's true. That's true. So we'll see. Um, and so if we do, we cannot have an economist on the show without talking about the Fed. <laughs> uh, so, yeah. uh, so Laura, put on your Powell hat. What, if anything, uh, is the Fed going to do this year if we do see uh, any sort of rising inflation? Yeah. And I mean, you know, the, the conversation about inflation is directly applicable to monetary policy. Um, you know, the Fed right now has, you know, during COVID, it was ill-timed because they had begun their like framework review, which is a fancy way of saying, 
they wanted to really change the way that they are supposed to use policy to react to inflation. Um, because the Fed has finally woken up to what markets have been telling them for a long time, which is that we're in a lower inflation regime. And we've seen decades of falling inflation. And it's been 20 years now that the Fed has been unable to hit their 2% inflation target. You know, they raised rates aggressively in 2017. And that, in retrospect, was a mistake that they had to unwind because they tried to preemptively circumvent a rise in inflation that never came. So they had to unwind those rate hikes. They want to change their reaction going forward to inflation. And this is going to be the true test of that. If we get inflation higher over the course of this year, which we may very well, if we get inflation, you know, hitting sort of consistently above 2% and we get long run inflation expectations sort of, you know, rising above 2%. Is that going to cause the Fed to race to tighten? Or is it going to cause them, as their framework review would suggest, to to let it kind of run hot? I put that in air quotes because that's what you hear a lot. To let the economy run hot for years um, to just kind of help to renormalize after decades of chronically low inflation. So... This is going to be a really true test. Um, And it's going to be, I think, something to me, I think they are going to err on the side of caution when it comes to rate hikes. They may very well. I think the, the clear next step for monetary policy is to roll back their asset purchases, you know, to reduce those and offer less support just through pure monetary liquidity to the market. But uh, the inflation question drives straight to the heart of Fed credibility. And they have a, I think they're going to have a pretty big test coming in the, over the next year, year and a half. So Laura, how do we connect all of this back to markets? Well, clearly interest rates, you know, are where the rubber meets the road when it comes to the inflation consumers are facing and businesses are facing and how it impacts interest rates. I, you know, Here's where we just all need to pause and really appreciate the fact that with these astronomical growth rates um, and consensus around these exceptionally strong growth rates, we're still seeing long-term interest rates, what, today at 155, 150? Um, That is just extraordinary to me. It means that there's either very little long-term conviction that we're going to see growth higher than potential, or very little long-run conviction that we're going to see inflation meaningfully higher in any way. So, you know, any way you slice it, it's a continuation of the interest rates at or near historic lows. And, you know, that's what we've been writing about for a long time, Kara. I have no reason to change that, uh, that outlook. Could interest rates get as, you know, the 10-year treasury could get as high as 2% this year? Um, maybe. I, th- I think the more important question, here's where, you know, honestly, I, I look to you for the expert advice on, you know, how to navigate this for investors. What does chronically low interest rates mean for, for markets? I mean, that's really, 
that's really, I think, where, where this goes. Because no matter what inflation does over the next year and a half, um, markets over the long term seem convinced that interest rates are, you know, they, they have continued to drive interest rates very low. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, I think the first thing I'll say is that I do think it's become clear from our conversation that uh, inflation is a pretty muddled picture going forward. So I, I do think, you know, touching on the inflation issue first, that some sort of inflation protection right now is an important component in a diversified portfolio. Uh, I think one of the first places people go to for that uh, is commodities or other real assets. So real estate has been resilient. I think it's a, a great option right now if landlords can pass along some of those price increases to their tenants. Um, looking at equities, I think, first of all, I will instantly direct listeners to the podcast that Ryan Caldwell recorded last week as it will go much more into depth. But you know, if the long-term goal of your portfolio is to generate a return in excess of inflation, then equities probably have the most upside. Um, there are a lot of nuances there. Um, but at the end of the day, if we do see some sustained pickup in inflation and the economy is growing above trend and earnings are growing, that's fundamentally good for equities. Um, I think if you can find the sectors or companies with pricing power, and, and we talked about how tough that is, but um, if you can find those, uh, then that's a good spot to be. And to your point, I think the more immediate term um, that you have to talk about in the inflation conversation is is interest rates. So if we do see some of these interest rate spikes because we see inflation expectations rising, so like we saw at the end of February and early sure. March, you know, whether these spikes were due solely to inflation expectations is is unclear. But we do know that these interest these long term interest rate spikes have had a lot of impacts across markets and, and portfolios and not just on the fixed income side. Um, a lot of equities are, are really duration sensitive as well. So and yeah. to keep that in mind. Um and then, of course, the fixed income side of things continues to be such a challenge, whether we see inflation or not. Laura, as you said, this is the issue of chronically low interest rates. Investors are really stuck between a rock and a hard place. You know, you're stuck. Yeah, with, there's nowhere to go. No, you're stuck with either a really low yielding core fixed income market that is uber sensitive to even these tiny changes in rates. Um or if we do see inflation rise and interest rates rise as well, your core fixed income isn't going to do so well. Um, this is not a new story. We, we've seen this play right. out all year. Uh, so maybe investors are moving some of their fixed income portfolios into sub-investment grade to get some more income, some less duration sensitivity um, within credit. And Lara, as you know, that's where I spend the bulk of my time. Um, but you know, people often look to senior secured loans when rates are rising. Um, I have I have feelings about that asset class. Um, I think structured products like CLOs are a really interesting way to play the floating rate story. Uh, if, if you are looking for something floating rate, um, I think there's a lot of opportunity in that market still on the income side and on a total return basis. Um, and I've written about that a lot recently as well. And then, of course, we've talked about on the podcast before about how high yield bonds are much less interest rate sensitive than uh, many would believe, um, and in fact, do pretty well during periods of rising rates. Um, yeah. So I just think, I mean, it's it's tough, right? A chronically low interest rates is, uh, it creates, it's a challenge, <laughs> you know, on, yeah. on kind of all sides of your portfolio. And I think one that um, I would say is not going away anytime soon. Yeah. I think, Carol, you know, the, the recommendations you suggest are so important 
as, you know, as hedges, as any sensible forward-looking investor needs to really consider. Um, to me, I think this is where, you know, we, we all need to be conscious of the fact that should we really see inflation play out, you know, inflation return to what it was in the 1990s, say, of 2.3%, you know, interest rates at that time, long-term interest rates were 5.5%. You know, that is a wholeheartedly different um, landscape than we're playing in right now. And that would, you know, imply the need for an enormous, um, you know, rotation in your allocation. And I think that is where, when I hear people talking about inflation, we've had so many one to two year increases in inflation that have been temporary. uh, And we have been, you know, sort of slumped right back into this, you know, disinflationary funk. Uh, I think to me, you really have to before you get concerned about anything more significant um, like that, you really need to sort of, I've been saying, you know, you need to like wait to see the whites of its eyes, you know, for inflation, (laughs) like, um, you know, because we have had so many head fakes that have not panned out with a real long-term increase in inflation or uh, increase in interest rates. Um, I think what you do need to do is, you know, to your point, you need to, Make sure that if we do see something temporary for a year or interest rates rising for a year, you know, you're not getting, you're not allowing that to erode your performance at the margin. You really need to to sensibly allocate your portfolio to prepare for that. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think that is a good place to wrap up. Um, I think this was a really great conversation, Laura. Thank you as always for joining us. Um, Sure. We, I'm sure we'll have you back on soon. Thanks so Thank much. you. Have a great day. You too. This podcast is brought to you by FS Investments. If you found this helpful, subscribe to get new episodes as soon as they are available.